This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you again for another 30 minutes of your precious time as today we discuss the politics of arson. Our guest today is Ed Northgog, a long-time 34-year veteran with Los Angeles law enforcement who has investigated California wildfire arsons over the years, and wildfires in California are increasing, and it's going to tell us a little bit about that. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me. So I was reading a little bit about it, and, um, you know, we all see these heartbreaking wildfires consuming these beautiful homes out there, and don't think too much. You think it's the wind, you think it's, but you don't really think much too much about arson, and I was surprised to see one out of ten of these fires are, are set intentionally, and uh, you were saying that you believe the arsonists, and you've investigated 2,100 fires and helped to put 300 people behind bars. You say these arsonists are the most dangerous criminals in the world. Why? Yeah, I said that in a recent book I wrote on wildland arson, um, that the wildland arsonist in particular is the most dangerous criminal there is. There's nobody else like him. And I use the pronoun him because most of them are hymns. But um, they can burn a a town or a county down with just a match in, in literally a half hour. And they can kill scores of people, and that ha- and that has happened, and with nothing, with no monetary input other than a match or a lighter, and they just start the fire on the on the right day if the wind is in their favor, and they light the fire, they walk away, and it takes off, and there's nobody that's going to stop it. We can have ten thousand firefighters there; they cannot stop a wildland fire. They just contain it and kind of focus it in a direction. Is anyway, um, that is why they are so dangerous. One of the things you were saying I was reading is that, um, you know, there's no profile of an arsonist that you just can't put them in a box and say, you know, it's this, 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 and this. Is that true? Yes. I'm an arson profiler and arson investigator. and I'm a courtroom expert. I still testify, even though I'm kind of retired from police work. I testify all the time on this. And um, arson is one of those equal opportunity crimes. Uh, it, it, there's no such thing as race in arson. There's no such thing as gender or age. Um, people light fires for a variety of reasons. Um, and then, uh, there's a serial arson, which is totally different than your average everyday arson. Um, so arson, uh, there is no profile. I mean, when, when we start to look at various subsets of arsonists, there are consistent traits that we see amongst them. And, um, a, a I'll give you an example of a subset would be a firefighter arsonist. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I've studied probably 700 cases of firefighter arson and serial arson, and they all share similar traits Mm -hmm. that we can rely on when we're doing analysis. But a wildland arsonist is is its own subgroup and female arsonists are their own subgroup and various levels of juvenile arsonists are their very, have their own subgroups and the traits run through them. But if you were to say, what is the profile of an arsonist? I know people have tried that in the past. There, there is none. There's, I, I kind of make fun of it on my book covers that, <laughs> that the original profiles that came out, uh, the original profiles that came out in the 80s, while well-meaning, were yeah. based on interviews with murder, uh, murderers. 
And yeah. the, the profilers found that a lot of murderers had arson in their background, but not I all. See. I see. And they started to try and categorize them, and it was, I think it failed. If you read the profile on the back of my one book, Arsonist Profiles, it fits most of the people I work with and mm-hmm. most of the people I was in the military or in college with. And so it's, and it was sort of the uh, generic profile that's been around for 30 years, and it's not accurate. If it was, we'd be arresting 300 million people. So um, anyway, there is no profile, but there are consistent traits among the various subtypes and subgroups. Why would someone set a wildfire in California knowing that it's, it's, you know, it has the conditions to, to make this thing, you know, massive? The old thoughts were that it was all about power, uh, that they have, these are generally in most cases, your typical arsonist in the wildlands is a powerless person, person who's, who's failing at life. Hmm. And um, they're, they're, most of them are losers uh, in, in, in with everything, with their families, with the way they conduct themselves, everything. Um, and so um, they set a fire and the, the fire gives them power. I mean, they can control a thousand firefighters. They can sure. make a town evacuate. That's fascinating. Now, most of them are not that clever. Mm-hmm. Um, they just like to light fires. And so mm-hmm. power was the old thing, but actually deeper analysis shows that all these people are just angry. Mm-hmm. They're angry, upset, confused. And um, when, I, when I interview them, and I've interviewed uh, a few hundred of these people, they, they all sh- share the same thing. It's you can just feel the bitter anger coming out of them about mm. how their life turned out. And how much of it is mental illness, I know. Oh, it's significant amounts. Of, every serial arsonist I've ever arrested or done a profile on or been involved in, everyone, I would say, except for maybe a couple, uh, has a degree of mental health issues. And I have to be very careful how I say that because they can be very mild to incredibly extreme. And... Um, Everybody in their family has somebody with some mild mental health issues, but most people that resort to arson have a multiple mental health issues. Plus, in modern America, they have the scourge of methamphetamines, oh. and methamphetamines has created more arsonists. Uh, it's only been around since World War II, right? And hmm. only in, only in really great quantities since maybe the eighties. And now we actually have way more serial arsonists than we ever had before because methamphetamine causes long-term use causes brain damage Hmm. irreparable brain damage, which is a mental health problem. And now people start doing things that they had never done before. And so quite a few of our meth of our uh, serial arsonists are addicted to meth or, and, or opiates. So you have all these problems going on. And so that's why we see a lot of these um, cases in our homeless communities and uh, places like that. I remember, uh, yeah, I remember being a reporter. I was up in, I want to say, northern Florida. So there was a guy going around burning churches down. And I think he did like five. He was a homeless guy, so they couldn't really track him. There was no address. And I ended up finding him, went up to Chattanooga, reviewed his court files. And um, in the file, there was a a, uh, line that said, you know, if this guy is off his medication, he could be a danger to himself and to the community. And when they finally did catch him, he said, yeah, the churches were talking to him and he'd throw a rock and break the window and they wouldn't stop talking. So he'd burn it down. But how many of these people are falling through the cracks of the mental health system? 
uh, a significant number of serial arsonists are somehow engaged in the mental health system. And what you just described is a paranoid schizophrenic, which is a highly dangerous arsonist. I know he's attacking uh, an inanimate thing, a building, a church. But um, when you hear when you hear these uh, persons, and I've spoken to quite a few that hear hear things or start to see things, that's paranoid schizophrenia. That's usually caused by well, there's a number of things that cause it, but one of them is long-term drug use, or they're they're mixing medications, and that's the problem. Some of these people are on medications for mental health issues, but then they're mixing it with pain medications, and they might be mixing it with some other things that their doctors aren't aware of. And of course, then if they add Ill- illegal drugs, now you just have a, someone's brain that's in there cooking with all this stew mm. of medications. Mm. And then you have these odd things like you just described that you, what you just described is a classic serial arsonist. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what I would call more of an urban serial arsonist or so somebody operating in, in a city or a town and they can light 200 fires. No problem. It was kind of sad. I mean, it was kind of sad to read his file because, you know, he seemed to be a good kid and, you know, just had these problems. And I'm sure a lot of the people you talk to are, are kind of in the same way, just sad people, sad lives. Last year, it looks like the numbers went from 310 to 320 in California. Is that about right? Well, that's what the state arson agency, Cal Fire, reported. And that, that's their numbers are fairly accurate. Um, they deal mostly in wildland arson. So that, those were their arrests. California is a massive state and there's, there's hundreds of police and fire agencies. So yeah. those are just Cal Fire's numbers. There are other agencies, my own agency, LA Sheriff's probably arrested 50 or more people uh, themselves, probably closer to, to 100. So mm. there's actually quite a few people that get arrested yeah. for arson. Yeah. And, and why are the numbers going up? There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, there, the arrests that they're described in those Cal Fire statistics may, in fact, not even be physical arrests. Um, if you if you light a bonfire or you burn your crops as part of a farming operation on a time of day or time of year that's out of burning season, if if you will. Cal Fire will give you a ticket and you'll have to pay a lot of money and it'll be a lot of money. And um, they consider that an arrest. So that may be skewing the stats a little bit. Um, those are those are citations that they give for negligent or illegal fires. I, I note those things, but as an arson investigator, I'm not that concerned about those particular people. They'll, they won't repeat offend, of course. And what was the impact of COVID? It seemed that it, it, it rose in COVID too. What would be the reason for that? Um, COVID it, it is a factor. I didn't think it was going to be. It, it is. Um, people just, uh, I, this is just me generalizing. People are, people have acted so much more stressed under COVID. So anybody that's at risk is going to act out in whatever coping mechanism they use. And if it's an arsonist, they're going to set fires. And, and, and I'll describe what I mean by that. A, a serial arsonist, if they're identified uh, as someone who sets fires under stress at, say, age 12, 14, 16, they're going to be a serial arsonist at age 80. And they're not mm. going to stop. They never do. Mm. And there's really no treatment program for them. There, there mm. isn't. Maybe medications, but constant monitoring. But they'll be at risk their entire life when their stress level gets high. And maybe something bad happens in their life. Somebody dies in the family. They lose a Mm -hmm. job. uh, Their their wife leaves them. Something like that. 
they will uh, resort to their coping mechanism, which to some people it's alcohol, drugs, to other people mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's arson. And luckily we don't have that many arsonists, but there, but there's thousands of them of serial arsonists. But I mean, so I think the COVID thing exacerbated that. I mean, people that don't have mental health issues seem highly stressed due to this COVID lockdown and the stress and the panic. You recently locked up a criminology professor for arson. And this is not done just by, you know, people who are, you know, maybe poor. I mean, it's it's lawyers, it's dentists, it's millionaires. Why would that be? Because, uh, and I I think I told you this at the start, arson is a non-discriminatory discriminatory crime. I've, I've arrested rich people, people that light fires for insurance fraud when they're millionaires. They don't need the money. They just do mm. it as a course of business. Mm. They're technically serial arsonists. Um, multiple doctors, dentists, lawyers, those are people under stress as much as anybody else. And sometimes doctors are doing self-medication. Most of the doctor cases or dentist cases were involved in, uh, they, they of course have the stress of their job and their business and their mm. life. And then a lot of them were self-medicating, prescribing themselves drugs. So it's not just um, one thing that usually pushes somebody over the edge. Let's look at your criminology professor that you, you, you mentioned that Cal Fire arrested. This is a guy who was predictable that something like this might happen to him because he was losing his job and kind of losing his mind a year prior to setting fires. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't kind of like some of the media is portrayed it as like, he's a criminology professor during the day and he's lighting fires at night. It's not really true. Um, he was a criminology professor, um, sort of a, a guy who went from college to college and wasn't full-time. And then he either lost his job or walked away from it well over a year ago. And, um, he was living in his vehicle and involved in uh, drug use. Um, according to one of the investigators I know. And so you have all this stuff and you can see somebody descending into some mental health problems. And his coping was to go out in the forest and start setting a series of fires. And um, you mentioned the opioid crisis and, you know, that's exploded in our nation. And I'm actually watching an interesting series called Dope Sick, which kind of maps out how it all got started. But uh, how has that impacted this explosion of opioids? Well, it's, it's kind of like I was describing when you're mixing any sort of drugs in your body, your body, your body, one might be medicine and then you mix something else that's not medicine or it's a different kind of medicine and your doctor doesn't know about it. Now you're, you're messing with your mind and, and mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor or even a pharmacist, but mm-hmm. I know that people start acting super erratic and I can tell them interviewing them that they'll be on multiple drugs and mm-hmm. o- opioids is, 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 is a common legal drug. And so uh, if people are using opioids for pain medications, then they, they have some mental health issues uh, on the side. They're going to start taking some psychotropic drugs. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes their doctors don't even realize this is going on. This has happened in my own family. And you just see this bizarre behavior. And mm-hmm. it's, it's very sad. And you have to tell the doctors, take them off one or the other because yeah. they're mixing drugs. and. Yes. That's just kind of what happens. One of the things I also found fascinating out there is, you know, so I, I worked on the prison system a little while, and we had the sex offender registry, which a lot of states have. You have an arson offender registry. Tell me about that. Well, I was hoping you'd ask me about that, Cherry, um, because uh, I find it useless, <laughs> and I'm the, and I and I'm the <laughs> I'm the end user. Uh-huh. So this thing's designed for me. 
Yeah. Because I'm the detective. Right, right. I want to know all the arsonists in my area. Mm-hmm. So what happens is in California, particularly, arson is a violent strike felony. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. If somebody lights a, burns a church down with people in it, that's a strike felony. If they just burn a trash can with trash in it, that's a strike felony. California is pretty liberal about a lot of things, but not about its arson or, or explosion laws. And so what happens is lawyers do their job and they do everything they can to get their client to plead as something besides an arson. And so where that factors into me is most serial arsonists are in the urban setting, uh, kind of more, more of your people wandering the streets with mental mm-hmm. health issues and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they'll set dozens and dozens of trash cans on fire in California. They'll set palm trees on fire. It's a big favorite. Um, porta potties is another big favorite. <laughs> Uh, junkin <laughs> alleys, <laughs> yeah, junkin alleys, and these are all basically items that don't aren't really worth anything. Nobody's guarding them, and so they're easy to set on fire, and they burn quite nicely, and they're kind of fun to watch. So your serial arsonists can go out one night and light twenty of them, twenty of them if they if they want mm-hmm. to, or they can just do it over the course of a month mm-hmm. if they get caught. Which we catch most of these guys, to be honest. We most serial arsonists get caught, and if they get caught. The judge will say, well, what do you got here, North Scott? I said, well, we, we got the guy doing uh, three trash three trash dumpster fires in alleys, and there was 17 over the last month. He goes, well, how many do you, do you have video of this guy? Yeah, we have him and eyewitnesses on three. He goes, well, we'll prosecute him for three or you know, we'll convict him for three, and he'll take a deal, and his lawyer will do everything he can to make that like a vandalism conviction. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll beg, borrow, barter, whatever they have to do because they don't want an arson conviction. Mm-hmm. That's the guy I want to be on the register because you have to register right. in California right. if, you, if you're an arsonist, if you're a conviction. Yeah. So that's the guy I want on the registry. Sure. Well, most of their lawyers are very clever and very good, and they get them down to vandalism or some, you know, malicious mischief or something. And the people that end up on the registry – are the girlfriend that that comes home and catches her boyfriend cheating. So she burns his car in the driveway or burns <laughs> his clothing. And that is, a t- that's very common. That's a typical female type fire. Um, and she gets arrested. She pleads guilty because it's usually done in front of 20 witnesses. Sure. She ends up on the arson list. She's never going to light another fire in her life, probably. Right, She's right. just angry. And that's not the person I want on the list. Crime of passion. Yeah, you have a crime of passion, but it's in, in, in and it's the serial arsonists we want on the list, yeah. and most of them are not. And that's yeah. the sad part. So everybody goes, did you check the arson list? And I found it in all my cases, thousands of cases. I found that list helpful, I think, on two. Wow. Literally two. The fact that you have it, though, really shows that, hey, this is a major problem in California, no? Well, California has recognized, of course, we're in the brush fire and wildland area. They have recognized that arson is a serious crime. A lot of states do not. I, I, I teach all over the country, all over the world, and I, I speak to investigators every day saying, well, we got the guy on 30 fires, but they want to give him just probation. And I have to write a letter to the courts and say, this is how dangerous this guy sure. is. Sure. And you brought up the church fires and things mm-hmm. like that. And they always say, well, nobody was hurt. Or worse yet, they always say, well, how much money is, was lost? Who cares? Right. I always right. say, who cares? Right. A, a true sure. arson investigator is not concerned with the dollar loss. The fire chiefs are, and you know, of course, the insurance company is. But we're we're concerned about what is this person's intent and what are they doing. So you mentioned fire chiefs. Way to go, Ed! I was going there next. So <laughs> we always read about 
uh, firefighters setting fires. And, and I remember reading a mother had actually set fires so that her son could keep fighting the fires. And what is it? What's that connection between firefighters and arson? So that's a whole section of, uh, of my books. And for the most part, um, there's very mixed. It's a very unpopular subject in our, our business, of course, but it's an ongoing problem for 120 years that anybody knows about. And each year in the United States, over 100, and it's been consistent, it's never, it never goes up, never goes down, 100 firefighters are convicted for setting fires. Most of them are serial arsonists. They've set multiple fires. Um, and there's a theory, and it's a really interesting theory by some really good researchers, some friends of mine, that does the fire department hire an arsonist? That was the old theory. But the new theory, which has some weight to it, is does the fire department make an arsonist? Wow. And I can explain that. And I know there's firemen passing out across the nation as I speak, but they know this. If you run a slack firehouse and, you know, the chief is, you know, most, most of our firefighters in this country are uh, volunteers and God bless them. And, and, and so the chiefs, but are, have a really hard time in small rural agencies, keeping people, they take, kind of whoever they get. They do sort of a token background investigation and they look for arson. And like I told you, most of the people that we want to look for aren't on any list. And so they've usually passed the background, but most of these guys then go to a fire academy of sorts and a fire academies. I've seen them. They, to this day, a lot of them teach that what we did in the 1970s and, and, you're probably in my age group. The 1970s was the heyday of firefighting in this country. We don't have fires of that volume, of that type, of that size anymore. We just don't. Um, the whole East Coast and the whole upper Midwest was burning. Um, all these structure fires were burning. We don't have that in modern America anymore because of just they changed the construction materials. And so the firefighters are given these classes in academies when they first join that you'll be, and they, they like to use these lurid stories. You'll be fighting the dragon or facing the devil every day. <laughs> and, and honest to God, and there's whole classes on how not to do this now. And yeah. they bring in the oldest firefighter in the unit and he has his helmet. It's all melted and it's dirty from whatever. And um, from all the fires. And he tells these guys, these lurid, crazy war stories that may or may not be true. Certainly probably maybe exaggerated a tad bit. And then they send these guys loose. And so you have an 18 year old kid, um, usually a male and they get into the firehouse and they mop floors for the next eight months. Yeah. And then they polish the engine and they do mm -hmm. it again. And they polish the mm -hmm. engine, they roll out the hose and they roll it back up. There's no fires to fight. And mm -hmm. in LA, uh, LA, very modern city much more you know modern than the east coast because uh, you know our buildings aren't more than 100 years old here mm -hmm. um they don't fight very many building fires in southern california they they fight mostly vehicle fires and trash fires and, mm -hmm. and small vegetation fires and so the east coast guys in say baltimore boston new york areas they still have these big old buildings that burn on occasion but the point is these poor young firemen who are getting in, got filled, got sold this bill of goods that they would be fighting and slaying the dragon every day. And it's not true. So they start to resort to, if it's a, if it's a weekly run firehouse, they start, there's pranks going on like crazy. There's fights, there's theft, mm -hmm. there's uh, shenanigans going on. And pretty soon there's fires going on. 
how do you investigate an arson, especially like a giant one, giant wildfire arson? That's actually pretty easy. The, the answer is real simple on, on a giant wildfire. If it's giant, that means the wind's driving it. If the wind's driving it, it's just common sense that you just go upwind as far as you can until you run into the green area again. You go, you know, you follow the black area all the way up upwind to its most narrow point, and that's where the fire started. Now, um, when you get to that area, it might be 50 yards by 50 yards in size. And so now you have to get on your hands and knees for hours, if not days, looking for what caused the fire. Mm-hmm. So that's physical hard labor. But finding roughly the area of origin is actually quite easy on a wildland fire because mm-hmm. fire mm-hmm. follows the wind or it follows, it goes uphill. So um, that, that part's easy getting to roughly where it started, but getting to exactly where it started, that's where these poor guys earn their money. And it's brutal. It's brutal, hard, hot, dirty work that, that takes hours and hours and days. And then how do you trace that back to the culprit? Well, so then once you find what started the fire, you have, you know, most, you brought it up at the start of your, your, your show here. Most of, most of overwhelming majority of wildland fires are human caused events, but they're actually accidents or mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. negligence. Mm-hmm. Usually some sort of equipment being operated from a vehicle to welding to you know, some it. fencing operation yeah. or something. And it's very simple. To, those are easy to investigate. Um, vehicles along roadways start the overwhelming majority of the fires. Hmm. That's harder because they'll put out a piece the size of a match head mm-hmm. of burning metal from a from a passing truck or car or RV, and you got to try and find that <laughs> and mm-hmm. use metal detectors and all kinds of things to do that. That's not easy, and and so. If we find something like that, then we know it's a, a equipment caused fire. So then we don't. But if we find, um, say, an incendiary device, or there's evidence, there's footprints, entire impressions that an arsonist got out and lit the fire with a lighter. Now we start an arson investigation. Almost like and a murder investigation, right? It sounds. They're virtually like ident- they're virtually yeah. identical. Yeah. I mean, here's how murders are solved. The homicide guy never catches the murderer pulling the trigger. It's never happened right. in American right. history. Except on, t- except on TV. <laughs> Colombo, right? right? Right. But what they do is they go to the scene. Yeah. They conduct forensics. They seize evidence. They conduct interviews. And then they start to follow leads and they knock mm-hmm. on doors. Arson's mm-hmm. exactly the same way. You go to the scene. You do the forensics at the scene. And then you interview the neighbors, the, the people on the highway, whoever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you... Uh, the forensics at a, at a wildland scene are difficult because if it isn't if it, if it isn't a, an incendiary device of some sort, now you only have tire impressions and foot mm-hmm. foot impressions. Mm-hmm. So your 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 arson investigator in wildland has to have some woodcraft and some hunting abilities in them to actually catch somebody. We do. We catch most all the serial ones eventually, but but. Um, the one and done people are very difficult. They just light one fire and never light another fire. Ah, eh, odds of us catching them are pretty slim. But it sounds like the serial arsonists. It just there's more coming, right? I mean, they just there's more more down the down the road. Yeah, I I absolutely believe there, there's tens of thousands of serial arsonists running around. They're just not active all the time, mm-hmm. and so they can go weeks and months and sometimes years without setting a fire. Then they set then they set a spree of fires. They're running around dealing with their mental health and, mm-hmm. and substance abuse issues. And mm-hmm. um, so, and as more people 
put themselves in that position, mm-hmm. that you're going to have more and more of these cases in the future. And as we push our homeless communities in California out into the yeah. the the interface between the the city and the and the and the woods or the forest or the brush, we're, we're putting people with severe mental health issues in the worst possible places. And LA's got thousands of homeless encampment sure, fires. Sure. Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, and we're gonna get to that next month, I think. But what would you like to see in this industry? Uh, not industry, I mean in this arena um, to cut this down and improve um, the situation? Well, I tell everybody uh, that asked me that question uh, the same answer. It's, it's actually somewhat simple, is um, bill- millions, if not billions of dollars will go to fire agencies to, for fire suppression costs. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And they'll buy air tankers and, and trucks and stuff like that. But the fire chiefs in this country for over 100 years have notoriously neglected the, the, the arson problem. Yeah. They, they have. And it's, I'm not telling anything that's not new. And they, if they get a million dollars, they're going to buy, you know, 900, sure. you know, they're going yeah. they like the to, to, to they like the to, shiny stuff. They like the shiny stuff. They want toys and they want to get their toys out there. Now you, you do need toys to put out fires. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. But if we catch it, if, if they would add a little bit more money and I'm, I'm talking, you know, of, uh, of a million dollars, just, you know, a portion of that, a hundred thousand of that or okay. less to training their investigators, mm-hmm they'll catch more arsonists. Mm-hmm. You take an arson. I, to, I already told you that a, a typical serial arsonist sets around 200 fires. Wow. They set 20 before we even know that they're around. Wow. Um, due to a lot of reasons. So if we can catch one, we've taken 200 fires away. Yes. And then, and then, and then of course you're going to set aside a bunch of money for prevention purposes, which is in keep educating the public on what not to do in the brushland right. areas right. and causing mm-hmm. fires. But if we just arrest the arsonists that are out there, we have better investigators through better training. We have not done that as much. And it's sort of one of the uh, neglected spots in the fire industry is money for training for arson investigators. It doesn't really exist except in the very smallest, smallest amounts. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, Ed. You're still working with Los Angeles? I retired from Los Angeles Sheriff's after 34 years, most of it as a detective in the arson Mm -hmm. bomb squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try, I'm trying to retire, but I'm failing miserably, <laughs> I'm failing miserably at, and I, I, I'm not good hey, at retirement. Keep you busy out there. They never end. So I'm sort of a courtroom expert on arsons, uh, yeah. fire death cases. I get called all the time to look at fire death cases and yeah. cold cases. Yeah. You're with the cold case foundation. Tell us a little bit about them. So the cold case foundation was formed by some ex FBI agents and they realized that obviously there's tens of thousands of missing persons and cold case murders, mm-hmm. um, maybe uh, unsolved murders uh, throughout mm-hmm. the United States. Mm-hmm. The big cities usually don't need help. They have cold case units like Los Angeles has a cold case team at, at various agencies. And so the, the, the cold case foundation was set up to aid the smaller agencies who just don't have that. And they look at cases and, and, and they see, you know, you're bringing in part of the cold case foundations. They have all these experts that volunteer and we all volunteer. I'm a, I volunteer as, as any fire death related case or missing person, I will come in and look at it for you. Mm-hmm. And I, and I like doing that. And I've looked at cases um, 
most of them are from the 70s and 80s, but I've actually looked at cases back to the 1890s. I know wow. there's no suspects alive, wow. but it, I looked at those for some history uh, from history uh, people. Yeah, you get to interview those. If you interview those, Ed, we'll, we'll have you back on right away. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, the, the thing is, I can rebuild. I can rebuild the arson case from photos. If there's sure, new photos, sure, so sure, we can we can do something with it. That's anyway, cool. so that that's what the Cold Case Foundation does. It helps smaller agencies. Um, it brings in experts to assist them and point them in the right direction and, you know, tr- try and get some uh, collecting DNA from family members mm-hmm. and things like that. And you are an author, many books, uh, but you're, the one that you were talking a little bit about today was The Arsonist Profiles. Tell us a little bit about that book. So The Arsonist Profiles was my third book. I, I write usually on serial arsonists. Most of them are from my own cases, so there are a lot of case histories and then from my courtroom experience. And then I wrote one about the arsonist profiles because, to be honest, I was sick of uh, listening to these talking heads on TV that pop up uh, every time there's an arson case, and they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> that's how I actually got to be an author. Really? I'm, on TV? Really? I'm listening to, yeah, I imagine that. I'm listening to some fairly famous people talk about arsonists, and they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> and so that arsonist profiles was based on all my studies, all my friends' studies in this business, and all my courtroom experience. And mm-hmm. it talks about all the many, many, many subtypes of arson and arsonists and why they do it. And so it, it's, you know, it's, it's actually that's one of my biggest selling books. And it's been used in courts numerous times. And pretty happy with that. How long has that been out, that one? The Arsonist Profile has been out since 2013. Just this year, I put out I put out a book called uh, Wildland Arson Investigation. Nobody's ever kind of focused on the wildland arson aspect. That's neat. And so I did that, and it's been super well received in the wildland community. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not just California. There's other states out there that are that are struggling with wildfires, and I'm sure they're struggling. Maybe not as much as California, but I'm sure they're struggling with arsonists there too. Well, you're not gonna you're not gonna believe this, Jerry. The first couple hundred books that sold went mm-hmm. to Northern Europe. Is that right? The book the book was out on the internet before I even had any in my my pocket to sell locally, and it went to Ireland, Scotland, wow. Norway, Finland, wow, and of all places, I didn't know they had wildland fires. Was Holland in the Netherlands? Hmm. You know, like it, global warming has absolutely yeah tipped it and those yeah. now they have formed wildland arson investigation groups in 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 the northern europe that they've never had before because of of you know the the, the temperature changes and now all their fields and forests are burning you have to get them to sponsor your your book tour over there Ed. get ireland That's, to pay for it <laughs> believe me that. covid slowed down all my fun uh, <laughs> oh i bet but, it did oh <laughs> yeah. i bet it did i bet can't it wait did. to talk over there yes that's right well thanks so much for joining us this was a fascinating conversation and i appreciate your time and uh thank you for the service that you do and in, in fighting these um these serial arsonists and and helping uh, communities um get a little more safe My pleasure, Jerry. Many thanks. All right. And this is our 60th podcast. We want to just take the time to thank uh, all our loyal listeners out there. And uh, we get a lot of you mentioned it. We get a lot of response from Europe and Middle East and India. So we appreciate uh, those folks tuning in. And we will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. 
With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.